2: As Harry Potter approaches his 40th birthday, we ask, has he been a wizard with his finances? If you're contemplating a dry January, our expert reveals how the savings could fund your next holiday. And where can you find the best value gym membership? Keep listening for the full financial workout. Hello and welcome to the first FT Money Show podcast of 2020. I'm James Pickford, Deputy Editor of FT Money. 2020 is the year when the oldest millennials begin to turn 40, and among them, none other than Harry Potter, who, as super fans will know, was born on July the 31st, 1980. But has he been a wizard with his finances? Here to speculate on his financial future is Moira O'Neill, Head of Personal Finance at Interactive Investor. Welcome, Moira.
3: Hi, James.
2: So, this is obviously a fictional character. Yeah. How much do we know about how wealthy Harry is likely to be these days?
3: OK, well, I, I got the help of lots of Harry Potter expert websites that trawled through the novels to try and find, find all the details about his wealth. I mean, obviously, the most famous point about Harry is his parents left him a fortune when they were sadly killed by Voldemort. Maybe I shouldn't have said that name, um, oh, yes. but yes, they left him a right. vault full of gold galleons, which he discovered when he was eleven, and you know to that the young boy, it seemed like a fortune. but um Potter fans have estimated it was worth eight hundred seventy thousand pounds. so that's not a that's not exactly entirely enough. For a lavish lifetime, is it? But um, mm. but he, you know, at school he did very well. He won this uh, Triwizard Tournament. Um, he inherited a significant sum from his godfather, who was called Sirius Black. And so, by the time he graduated from school, he had a bit more. And then he went on to have a really great career. He uh, landed um, a job as an aura. Which is is one of the most prestigious jobs in the wizarding world, and um, by the time of the the famous play that's in, still in the West End, Harry Potter and the Cursed Child, he's thirty seven and he's head of the Department of Magical Law Enforcement. So you would think that um, Harry, at forty, should be set, you know, well set for a comfortable retirement, unless he's spent too much. So. You could possibly have a look at his um, spending habits within the books. Um, He did have a bit of a tendency to splash out on his friends. But he did also have friends who... um Came from very um, uh, sort of p- poor families, so he, you know, wealth and poverty are key themes in the books. Um, his best mate Ron um, ha- comes from a family where they have to live very, very frugally, and I think that may have chimed um, well with a lot of millennials because we know that the uh, the FIRE movement has uh, has taken off. Um, FIRE
2: standing for for
3: um, financial independence retire early. Yeah. So um, they're all trying to uh, cut back in the, in the hope that they can retire at 40 not many will make that but it's a key trend yes i mean so
2: it it is an issue for for 40 year olds but a lot you know many 40 year olds may not have given much thought perhaps to their retirement plans how they're going to get there at the very end except for those who are automatically in a pension but you probably need to do a bit more thinking about that
3: yeah i mean i think (laughs) By the time you reach age forty, it, it's a really significant milestone for a lot of people. Yeah. Um, you haven't given much thought to retirement planning. You've been trying to get on the property ladder. Or you've been yes. trying to support a growing family and small children. You have maybe had had a, a partner who's had to go part time or stop work for the kids. And, and of course, you know most most of us don't have inheritances to fall back or mm. or, or win amazing competitions and win loads of dosh. Um, so. Yeah, I think it's it's a key moment to examine your finances.
2: Um, one of the points is, of course, longevity, because you know, as we know, uh, as as fans of the books will know, that, that wizards have uh, expected to live until uh, around 150 years old. Um, but it's not just a problem for wizards, is it?
3: No, I mean, they're, they're, they're known to, to live very long time. Dumbledore live to be 150. They can do all sorts of magic to help their physical um, symptoms disappear or recover quickly from broken limbs etc. But I think you know that point about life expectancy is really important because people do tend to underestimate it and women in particular according to Interactive Investors research we found do tend to underestimate how long they're going to live when the statistics actually show that they're going to live longer than than men on average. Um, I think you know that's one factor to take into account and of course you've got to have some kind of plan as to how you're going to sort your finances out at 40. I mean the obvious you know list of uh, financial spells you need to cast um, are paying off your expensive debts, building your cash buffer, putting the right insurance in place. and then you know there's a really the really hard tasks are basically having a place, where you can live mortgage or rent-free by the time you retire and also having enough income to live on when you get there. And those are the two that require the detailed planning. And I'm afraid if you're starting age 40, you probably, uh, it starting to save for retirement at age 40, you probably need to put aside a significant amount of your income um, and it, it might feel a bit painful. I mean, I don't want to shock people, but I'm going to because I think you need to have about 20% of your income being regularly stashed aside for retirement. Mm. That's if you've done nothing up to this age. Uh, if that sounds just too difficult, then I think you have to work towards that. So think, well, if I can't do that now, maybe I can do it. Um, by the end of the decade, I can be stashing aside that much and um, when finances might be a bit freer and the kids are a bit older, etc.
2: Fantastic. That makes a lot of sense for all the muggles among our listeners. Thanks very much there to Moira O'Neill, head of personal finance at an interactive investor. You can read her column, which is a lot of fun, on ft.com slash money. For most people, the motivation behind doing a dry January is losing a few pounds in weight by giving up booze. However, financial expert Andrew Hagger from the website Moneycons, has looked at the pounds you could add to your wallet by going on the wagon. And he joins me now over the line. Happy New Year, Andrew.
1: Happy New Year to you. Thank you.
2: Now, you've taken a close look at the amount an average couple could save by not drinking and how far uh, they, you know, and given how much they could save, how far they could travel potentially on the proceeds. Uh, Tell us a bit more about that.
1: Yeah, so I mean, this joint piece of research with Caxton, the uh, the travel money firm, um, we we looked at dry January initially and thought mm, maybe one month isn't enough, not very exciting. So we decided to look at, you know, how much you could save if you gave up the booze for longer, and actually, you know, if you wanted to actually use that money to pay for holiday, where it would take you. So um, on the sort of lower end of the scale, if you gave up for five weeks, um, you could get a two-night trip to Amsterdam. Um, if you managed to go for four months, then you can then get a a night trip to Naples, and if you're really really good and you can keep it going for the full year, then you can end up with a, a fully inclusive um, trip to uh, Jamaica, Montego Bay. So you know there's a there's a big incentive, big carrot for you there.
2: <laughs> so when you've done your calculations, there are quite a few variables in the forty four pound a week figure. Um, it, it, I mean, it, f- some of our readers might might enjoy their their higher quality uh, tipple, so fine wines. Or they might choose to drink in pubs rather than at home, and then in that case, presumably the potential savings are even greater.
1: Yeah, I mean it's quite it's quite difficult to put a, an average that works for everybody. And and you're right, it would depend if you buy whether you buy your your drink in a supermarket or whether you buy it in a in a, in a bar or restaurant. And also depends on where you live. So you know, uh, in the rural parts of the UK, it's not going to be as expensive as the big cities. So, and yeah, exactly, those those savings could be could be much more. I mean, we we a bottle of wine and a of 14 pounds and i know in london and big cities that can be way more
2: than that so yeah so can you give us a sense of what what your average couple were drinking um,
1: um so we based this on um so we looked at the NH- nhs digital health survey to get an idea of the number of units people um, drank and then we sort of converted that into into drink and that it looks at about eight pints of beer and one bottle of wine and that's per couple per week so Um, You know, I think um, I spoke to a few of my friends about this and they sort of said, yeah, that's not far out.
2: Yeah. Some of my colleagues in the office have have commented on the irony of giving up drink for a year in order to splash out on an all-inclusive holiday. Um, I I suppose there's a wider lesson here, isn't there?
1: Yeah, I I absolutely get that. But I think the, the key thing here is that you know if you make savings on a on a small regular basis, they can quickly add up and actually you know it's quite surprising what you can achieve you know if even if you just give up for two three months um so that you know it's it, it's worth doing and and it's not just you know you don't have to spend it on a holiday we um We had a guy contact us to say that um he did a dry two thousand and nineteen for the whole year last year and actually cleared five thousand pounds worth of his personal debt so you know there's plenty of things you can uh, put that money towards.
2: Very good. You also uh, advise people that that sh- a good way of saving, if you want to do this, is to put your savings into a separate account to avoid the temptation of spending them. Um, where can you currently get the best rates on those sorts of accounts?
1: Yeah, I mean, there are a couple of options I'd look at at the moment. Um, there's Afford Money,
2: um,
1: which pays 1.35%, as does uh, Marcus from Goldman Sachs, pays the same rate. Both accounts that you can open quickly online. And I think it is important to have it separate um, so you can actually sort of see your money build up. Um, I think that encourages you to, to, to keep going. Otherwise, you put it in your bank account, it gets muddled up and you don't really see what you're achieving.
2: Well, thanks very much there to Andrew Hagger, founder of Moneycomps, And you can read the full article on ft.com money. Staying with the January health kick, an extra expense... Um, that many people consider at this time of year is joining a gym. Owen McSweeney, a former FT intern, has been trying to find the best value option. And he's written about his financial workout in the pages of this week's FT Money section. Welcome, Owen. Hi, thanks, James. Um, One thing you've found is that uh, the sort of intense competition in the gym market
0: means that you can now often get a really good deal, particularly if you live in a big city. Yeah, exactly. And what I found it was when I went on my hunt for different gyms and when I was speaking to owners is that the gym market now is bigger than it ever was before. So, for example, the UK market is valued at more than five billion, um, 90 billion in revenues generated per year. In the US market, this has actually tripled in the last 20 years. So it's really growing. And over the last 10 years, we've seen really strong competition in this area, which means that low cost fitness clubs have moved into the market and squeezed it. So the middle market isn't there as it was and not as strong as it was before. So you can get gym memberships in the city centre in places like Pure Gym or the Gym Group for maybe even as little as £15 a month. And they sort of range then, I say I would say the average is £35. It goes all the way up to £50 a month. And the joining fees, which can sometimes be a bit of a sting, are actually quite low now too. So you're looking at maybe £15, £20, £25. So quite a low price to be able to keep fit, while before um, you might have been paying £100 a month or £80 a month, which, being, which w- would really not have been feasible on a graduate salary in London. Um, For example, you have low cost gyms um, now, such as Energy Fitness, 24 Hour Fitness, um, Anytime Fitness. The real advantage that I found from having all these gyms in one place were the free trials. So this wouldn't work in a small town or even a small city where you only have a handful of gyms. But when, for example, in the FT, if you Google Maps now gym near me, you'd probably have a couple of dozen within a square mile. Mm. And that means you can go to DW Fitness and use their three-day free trial. You might be able to go to another DW Fitness and use their three-day free trial. Go to 24 Hour Fitness, Nuffield Health. And and the advantage of this, first of all, I guess, is you can sort of gym free for a little while. But it also gives you a really good indication of what these gyms are offering and how their um, offerings suit you as well. And I think it's absolutely imperative when you're looking for a gym that you do use these free trials to your advantage because afterwards you've then made a connection with the gym They're going to want to keep you in this competitive market. They're going to want to keep you on board. It's really easy to negotiate prices. So you might get a waiver, for example, on the membership fees. You might get the first month free and you might even be able to go on a a premium contract which would give you added benefits like, um, I I don't know what you call them benefits, but say free flavoured water (laughs) that you can get at the gym, um, uh, free classes, uh, free PT sessions. And something like that is definitely worth negotiating with your gym after your free trial. But I would say the first step is get on those free trials, try out different gyms and look at the ones that suit your price plan first of all and then also your your gym needs
2: that's very intriguing um obviously one of the things you've included in in this is this big trend towards um fitness apps and uh, live classes that take place uh, on on devices as it were Mm -hmm. can you explain how that works and and what the what the finances look like
0: well i guess it, it it's worth describing why this digital disruption has taken place so first of all the industry became very competitive boutique studios to distinguish themselves started offering um, various things like retreats functional high intensity workouts e- even sleep coaching but these can be very expensive so for example equinox might put you back 240 pounds a month which is obviously way out of reach um, for a young professional or even just a professional in general that's a very very expensive cost so what i found is that uh digital entrepreneurs have now created apps such as um fitu um, which is a group fitness app which allows freelance trainers advertise their workouts at any time any location in london you pay a one-time fee for that class it might be five pounds six pounds seven pounds you might do pilates on the south bank you might do a spin class uh, by london bridge and it's really flexible for someone who's working in london to be able to do these classes Maybe you say you do a spin class, you quite like it. Maybe your gym might offer free spin classes. And it's really useful um, for someone who doesn't maybe want to go on a gym contract or maybe wants to try and find out what type of workouts work for them. Also another one is ClassPass. So I didn't actually use ClassPass, but I have heard from other people that it's very, very useful in that basically it's like Spotify. You do a subscription service, gives you access to about 30,000 fitness studios and gyms worldwide. At the moment, they're doing a one month free trial. It can be a little bit expensive after that, but I would definitely recommend trying the one month free trial. See if it works for you. You can get it for as cheap as £15, but if you want more classes, you're going to have to expect to pay more. What I found, what was most useful for me was these uh, cheap gyms I spoke about earlier. They still offer free classes over 200 a month um, in some cases, which can be incredibly um useful for someone who might not have the motivation to do a single gym session by themselves but they might want to go to a gym class with other people, meet new people and and also have a gym instructor show them exactly what they need to be doing. Especially for beginners I would highly recommend these because as we all know you can go back to the gym in January, you're not very used to it, you decide to do a deadlift and a squat or a squat you pull your back because you haven't done it properly. So it it is definitely worthwhile also trying out these free classes that um, these cheap gyms offer before you go looking at the online stuff and the videos because even though you might think you're doing it right, it's always good to have a gym instructor look and Absolutely. say it to you.
2: And um, one of the big questions when you are talking about contracts is should you pay for a whole year up front given that the one thing we all know about <laughs> gym usage is that everyone piles in in Jan and Feb and then, and then mm. dis- uh, sort of gives up in uh, March and April. Um, is there anything to be gained from a longer contract?
0: So there definitely are some tempting discounts if you are to take a longer contract, for example, um, when I was looking, generally it's about a 10% discount if you're to take a 12-month contract over a one-month rolling contract, and they'll also generally kind of give you the first month free, which is a lovely little bonus, I mean that's another 12th off the, the overall price. But there are great disadvantages to fixed memberships as well. If you're someone like me who's a bit transient, uh, for example, I've been moving jobs recently, I've been moving apartments recently, it doesn't make sense for me to go on a 12-month contract. If I wanted to cancel, it can be costly in that you might only get 50% back. It can be really difficult and they make it purposefully difficult, obviously, because they want to keep you on board. What I find works best for me is a monthly rolling contract. It's a little bit more expensive, but for me, it's definitely worth it. And also, what I find particularly useful about the growth of gym chains is the fact that they now offer different gyms in different locations. So for example, Anytime Fitness have something like 4,000 locations globally. Um, For example, if I was to join Pure Gym, I'd only have to pay 55 pounds and I could use any of their gyms in London, which means I can go to the gym near work. I can go to the gym near home. If I'm traveling someday, I have to go to the gym somewhere else in uh, Birmingham or Southampton, Liverpool or Manchester. That becomes very useful as well. And In the end, what I did was I joined one of these low-cost gyms. I'm only paying £35 a month. I supplement this then with some free classes with a bit of Fitu as well um, on the side when I want to do something a little bit different. And that works for me and it might not work for other people. But what allowed me to decide that was doing those free trials in the first place.
2: Very good. Indeed. Thanks very much there to Owen McSweeney, uh, who's looking extremely fit uh, beside (laughs) me in the studio. You can read his article now on ft.com slash money and in the money section of the weekend FT newspaper this Saturday. That's it from The Money Show this week. If you want to contact our team of writers or financial experts, email us money at ft.com. You can follow us on Twitter for the latest news update. Our handle is at ftmoney.